0: Taylor. I'm Kat.
1: And welcome, once again, or possibly for the first time, hello, to Square Mile Farter.
0: Three lines. That's how long it took you to go off script. Hey, 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 it's one of those days.
1: Welcome. We have a couple of special episodes for you all this month. Um... This month, the month of March 2021, in case you're listening to this at some point in the future. So we put out a, a post on social media a couple of months ago asking for case suggestions, which we do from time to time. Um, uh, and one of our good friends from uh, university, mutual university together, uh, Melissa, asked if there had been any cases where a murder had been blamed on a ghost. So, curious ourselves, we went away and did a little bit of research on on that very topic.
0: Now, we couldn't find any murder cases where a ghost had been blamed, because it's a bit like a prosecutor's version of The Dog Ate My Homework. Yeah. isn't it? Yeah, It's kind of like, we can't find out who did it, so we're going to blame a spectral presence that may or may not exist. <laughs> but we have come up with a month's worth of cases which kind of flirt along the boundary of true crime and the supernatural. It's kind of like a half Halloween. We are starting with the Hammersmith Ghost, which is Really interesting. Uh, So, side note, most of these are going to be old cases. Actually, I think all of them are. Because that's when the veil between the supernatural and true crime is at its thinnest. Uh, So, The Hammersmith Ghost is a story which began as an old-fashioned haunting, but eventually turned into an actual murder case. And with it, generated a legal debate which would go on until the 1980s. Yes the 1980s. So 180 years of legal debate generated from this case. So let's get into it.
1: Uh, In November 1803, a number of residents in Hammersmith reported having seen a ghost in the streets at night. Uh, Hammersmith is now a district in West London, but back in 1803, Hammersmith was a village and was generally considered to be the border between London and the countryside. So
0: that just shows you how much London has grown <sighs> in the last two hundred years. Because right. that's in like Zone One. Yeah, or Zone Two. It's like
1: really close in there.
0: It's the city centre. <laughs> kind of amazing. Like central by that. London. Yeah,
1: it's like holy shit. Okay, then that's the suburbs. Um. So at first the ghost was reported to resemble a local man who had recently taken his own life. Like we said before, there was a lot more sort of superstition and belief in the supernatural at, the, uh, at this time in history in like the early 1800s uh, than there is today. Uh, superstition and belief in ghosts and evil spirits did play a major part in the way that people lived their lives uh, in the early 19th century. But To start with, people just kind of ignored these ghost sightings or ghost reports. Uh, Or at most, like the most that it would affect their lives was they would just try to avoid being out at night in the areas where the ghost had reportedly been seen. Um, now, Now is probably a good time to describe the ghost to you because it's probably not like the ghost you're
0: imagining. So accounts do vary, but the most common description of the ghost popping up around Hammersmith is here we go. Y'all ready for this? Dun dun
1: dun 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 Isn't that that song?
0: Y'all ready for this? It that was always
1: used to advertise a um a a roller rink. When I was a kid in <laughs> in Holyoke, Massachusetts, Inner Skate ninety one, yeah, I know it from Bring
0: It On. You know the early two uh, thousands yes. cheerleading film. Yeah, I don't care. I will die on that hill. That film is amazing.
1: Uh, Bring It On is a, a seminal classic, and it should be treated as such.
0: Yeah, y'all ready for this? Uh, a very uh, tall man dressed in a white sheet with glass eyes and bull horns. yes you heard correctly 200 years ago london ghosts were very tall wore white sheets bullhorns and had glass eyes was someone really close enough that they could see
1: that it was a glass like like i'm thinking like glass eye glass eyes not like just like
0: yeah, that that's what I don't understand because supposedly this this ghost had a glass eye, but it was also the first reports were like, it's this guy who It's a dude, yeah. Who who'd killed himself. So how can they be that close to see it's a glass eye, but then also think that it's someone who died, who obviously it turns out not to be. Um Yeah. I or unless this guy had had glass eyes and they were like, oh, it kind of looks like him, so it must have a glass eye. Yeah, it's
1: glass-eyed Jim. Um, uh, The bull horns, really? Like, everything else would kind of be like, okay, yeah, I get. Like, sort of like like, eerie, like, iridescent eyes and sort of a white, like, floating figure. But just with some fucking horns on its head.
0: Yeah, um... So there's a picture on the Wikipedia page of, like, a, an illustration, and uh-huh. it is literally just someone with, with a pair of horns coming out of his head, like like it's on, like, a headband or something.
1: Can I just... I'm doing an artist's rendering.
0: Oh, dear. There you go. That is actually much more beautiful than the real one. <laughs> um, I think... I think we have a new line of merch, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I will do that. I will make that happen.
1: I I might draw it on like not lined paper and not like intersecting my other notes, but um, I could make Hammersmith Ghost just merch the ghost happen. saying, "Y'all ready for this?" Yes. Oh my god. So, so that's that's the description. Just picture like. Casper with, like, a Texas Longhorns set of horns on his head. Um, So the more that sightings of the ghost uh, had been reported, the more fanciful they became. And uh, a couple of weeks after the first sighting, these encounters had developed from merely seeing the sheet-wearing phantom uh, to people actually being attacked by said sheet-wearing phantom. So in late November 1803, there were reports of two encounters with the ghost circulating around Hammersmith, which gained significant attention. The first was a a young woman who was pregnant, and she had been walking near the Hammersmith churchyard one night where most of the sightings had taken place. The young woman reported that the sheet-wearing ghoul had jumped out in front of her to scare her, uh the specter then proceeded to aggressively hug her as she stood there frozen to the spot
0: aggressive hugging is what i'm going to do to everyone once lockdowns lifted
1: <laughs> i'm just going that's to aggressively hug everyone that's your new like extreme sport that you're going to take up just post lockdown
0: squeeze the life out of everyone <laughs> that i've missed for the last year
1: um So, yes, so this this poor young woman was aggressively hugged, and then as quickly as the ghost had appeared, it just vanished into the night. Uh, The young woman went into shock, and a few days later, she died, and her death was attributed to the shock. So that's a bummer.
0: I mean, if, if a ghost just jumped out and aggressively hugged me, I don't know if I'd die, I'd probably punch it.
1: Yeah, I'd have a slightly different reaction, I think. But,
0: you know, different times. Another report told of how an elderly woman was walking through the same churchyard on a different night when the sheeted ghost jumped out of nowhere to frighten her, just as he had done to the young pregnant woman. Although the old woman was not aggressively hugged uh, by the ghost as the young woman had been, she was quote-unquote seized by him. Now we're not sure what this means because it wasn't like she was abducted unless he like jumped out and grabbed her.
1: Yeah, or is it like a is it like a spiritual seizing? Like a telekinetic seizing, or just like Yeah. Another term for aggressively hugging. Maybe. We'll never know.
0: Like the young woman, this older victim of the Hammersmith ghost also died a few days after the attack, and again, her death was chalked up to being from the shock she suffered at the hands of the ghost. Following this second death, attributed to shock from encountering a ghost, hysteria began to spread through the village of Hammersmith. Residents began to avoid the churchyard and the streets around it once darkness fell. People wouldn't go out alone at night, and the ghost became kind of a like a bogeyman of hammersmith used by parents to keep their children in line
1: i mean it would work for me Shit. yeah throughout the month of december 1803 more and more local residents reported encounters with this sheet wearing spirit uh, many locals had been scared by the ghost who had jumped out uh, at them and then disappeared Another story that circulated around the area was about a coach driver who was traveling through Hammersmith late one night when the ghost jumped out and scared him. The coach driver was so scared that he abandoned his coach and passengers and ran off to escape from the ghost.
0: I have thoughts. If you are a coach driver, which at this time obviously is a horse and carriage, mm-hmm. why would you abandon it? Like, just just make the horse run fast. You yeah don't abandon the horse and your passengers
1: I mean you're not yeah. gonna
0: you're not gonna get any return business then, are you?
1: No, also you're gonna be known as like
0: the guy who was so scared he ran away from a ghost, yeah,
1: like Bob the cowardly coach driver, yeah, I don't know I like is that a thing that like horses can't outrun ghosts or like I don't, I don't know. know
0: like unless the horse was really scared, but then that's just mean to leave yeah, them I know. There.
1: Then you're just abandoning a poor, defenseless animal. Jesus. Jesus, Bob. Um, So one of the most well-known interactions with the Hammersmith ghost came on December 29th, when a night watchman named William Girdler came into contact with the Sheeted Presence.
0: So we spoke about this... Briefly, in our very, very quick rundown of the Met Police in the last episode on Constance Kent. But there weren't really proper law enforcement systems in London 200 years ago. The Bow Street Runners existed, and they are sort of considered the first professional police force in the UK, but they weren't an organised police force in the way that we think of nowadays. The Runners were eventually absorbed by the Met after it was established in 1829. Uh, At the time of the Hammersmith ghost sightings, there wasn't a professionally run law enforcement organisation covering the village of Hammersmith, as it wasn't part of the city at that time. So in place of a police force, the village had night watchmen. Uh, So you did also get parish constables, who Mm -hmm. were another kind of early version of the police, but again, not how we think of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, But the night watchmen seemed to crop up the most in this story. And they weren't like police in the modern sense, but they did perform some duties consistent with law enforcement. Night watchmen groups were organised by local government, national government, or by local communities, and according to our old friend Wikipedia, they typically performed the following duties. Public safety, fire watch, crime prevention, crime detection, and recovery of stolen goods. Seems fairly same. police-ish. Yeah, it's kind of... It's it's an early version of, of law enforcement, but it's not organized in the same way that we think yeah, of police today. forces being organized. Today. Yeah.
1: William Girdler was in the Beaver Lane area of Hammersmith, which was a couple streets away from the churchyard, where most of these sightings had been reported. Uh, and it was there in Beaver Lane that he spotted the ghost... Uh, Gurdler Beaver Beaver Lane Beaver Lane. It's fine. Just gonna move right past that. (laughs) Um, Gurdler shouted after the ghost and uh started to chase it, but the ghost escaped after throwing off its shroud and running off into the night. So here, here, I I just have a few questions. A. So the sheet is removable. Interesting. Um. B. It ran. It didn't float. It didn't shimmer away.
0: Yeah, it didn't just disappear.
1: Yeah. It, into the it, ether. It ran. Like after human. being shouted at. So this this ghost is actually like a quite a cowardly ghost. Yeah. Turns out. Anyway, just wanted to break that down a little bit. <laughs> uh news quickly spread and with no law enforcement and the ghost managing to Escape from a girdler, the night watchman, panic spread throughout the community, leading to a group of men forming an armed posse to patrol the streets at night and capture the ghost. Nothing bad could happen here, right?
0: Yeah, also, if it's really a ghost, why do you need guns? Yeah, solid question. Human physical weapons.
1: Yeah. Need more like some like a like a a rocket launcher filled with like sage parcels.
0: Yeah, I was That'd trying be... to think. I was thinking, what do you do for ghosts? Like obviously, you got garlic for vampires and wolfsbane for for werewolves. And I was thinking, what is it for ghosts? Yeah, that's that's what you need.
1: Sage, sage bombs. Yes, yeah, sage bombs. There you go. Or like a cannon, sage cannon. I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's like rocket launcher. They didn't have those in 1803. <laughs> Uh it's fine. Anyway, so, yes, they've decided we're going with guns. One of these guys was 29-year-old excise officer Francis Smith. Keep that name in mind. It will become important.
0: Another report from the end of December came from a brewer's servant named Thomas Groom, who was walking through the churchyard with a friend about 9pm one night. Groom testified that the ghost rose up from behind a tombstone and gripped him by the throat. Oh. He said his friend turned around after hearing him scream, but the ghost, quote, gave me a twist round and I saw nothing. I gave a bit of a push out with my fist and felt something soft like a great coat. Hmm. So he saw nothing. But was able to punch the ghost, and it felt like a fit. Like there was a physical coat it was mm-hmm. wearing.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. There's so. it's, it's, things aren't adding up here. Yeah. So, this and the ghost has already been able to remove an actual physical shroud, so it could run away from Girdler.
1: Yep. Yeah. I'm then. thinking we're not dealing with a ghost here.
0: Yeah yeah it's getting a bit strange,
1: yeah, yeah stranger than just having a ghost. I, I love it. it's like i I would be totally fine with oh yeah, it's just a ghost, but no if it's if it's if it's a fake ghost, we got issues <laughs> the The newly formed Hammersmith ghost hunting posse uh began patrolling the village after nightfall, and uh, nothing happened. At first, for the first four days, nothing happened. But on the fifth day uh, of this new nightly patrol, tragedy struck at ten thirty on the night of January third, eighteen o four Night watchman Girdler was patrolling the Beaver Lane area when he met twenty nine year old excise officer Francis Smith, who had joined the armed posse uh, looking for the ghost. Smith was armed with a shotgun and he told uh, Girdler that he was going to search the area for the ghost. Gridler told him that he would join him on his hunt after he had called the hour at 11pm in the two parted ways so not only is he a night watchman he's also like the town crier
0: yeah so that was part of their duties they would call the hour you know cool. 11 o'clock
1: and all's crap 11 o'clock and we still got a ghost infestation <laughs> I don't know why he's like a, it's like a Jewish grandmother all of a sudden but the, he is
0: At 11pm, a 23-year-old, or 32-year-old, sources vary, one might be, one is a typo, we just don't know which one. I think
1: whoever was making these records was a lot like me, transposing
0: all their numbers. Yeah. So, 23, or 32-year-old Thomas Millwood left his parents' house on Black Lion Lane and set off on his walk home. So Black Lion Lane is just across the main road from the Hammersmith churchyard, where the majority of the ghost sightings and attacks had taken place. Uh, Millwood was a bricklayer, and he was still wearing the clothes he would have worn to work that day, which were typical of a bricklayer at the time. That was white linen trousers, a white flannel shirt, and a bright white apron, which was actually very, very new, or had only been worn once or twice. Can you see where we're going with this?
1: I, I, I can see
0: so moments after leaving his parents' home, Millwood, dressed all in white, all in white, crossed paths with armed ghost hunter Francis Smith on Black Lion Lane.
1: Rot row. Um. According to Anne Millwood, Thomas's sister, who also lived with their parents, uh, immediately after waving her brother goodbye, she heard Smith shout, quote, "Damn you! Who are you?" And what are you? Damn you, I'll shoot you. End quote. Uh, After which he shot Millwood in the jaw, killing him. Uh, Near the end of Black Lion Lane is the Black Lion Pub, which is actually still a working pub today.
0: There's even Uh, like a a little plaque out front. You can actually um, see it on Google Street View. (laughs) Because I look to see that says that it happened. Cool. The the Hammersmith ghost incident happened. Well, there you go. Um,
1: So inside the Black Lion pub uh, were Girdler, John Locke, who was one of Smith's neighbors, and a third man named George Stowe. After hearing the shot ring out, the trio left the pub and met Smith in the street, and Smith told them that he had shot the Hammersmith ghost. So the four of them went to... Uh, inspect, said ghost.
0: For fairness, some sources say that th- the three men just all happened to be in the street near the pub. Not in the pub when they were supposed to be out on, like, ghost posse duty or night watchman duties. So. They may or may not have been drinking on the job, we don't know.
1: We don't know. Hard
0: to say. I mean, it could be part of your duties to just call in the pub and check up. Yeah, see, see if
1: there's any ghosts in there in the yeah. in the taps. Yeah. Yeah. Um so the foreman quickly realized that Smith had not captured a ghost, but in fact, had actually murdered an innocent man. Um just not the the outcome they were looking for, I, I don't think. No uh generally not the one you're looking for so they advised smith to go home and hide but before he could do that a constable arrived and arrested him uh we're not sure exactly who this constable was like if he was a member of the bow street runners or possibly a parish constable um but whoever the hell he was he arrested smith and took him into custody uh, while this happened, Thomas Millwood's body was taken into the nearby Black Lion pub and was examined by a surgeon who uh, just happened to be drinking in the pub at the time. Very convenient.
0: Yeah. So the body was taken straight to the pub where a surgeon was drinking. So this is just after 11pm on January the 3rd. But wasn't actually examined until January the 6th. Interesting. Um. So it was finally examined by Dr. Flowers. Uh, And he confirmed that Thomas had died as a result of, quote, a gunshot wound on the left side of the lower jaw with a small shot, one of which had penetrated the vertebrae of the neck and injured the spinal marrow. The coroner's jury returned a verdict of willful murder at the hands of Smith, and he was committed to Newgate Prison to await his trial. Uh, So yeah, Francis Smith's trial began a week later, but not before another development in the Hammersmith ghost story. Two days
1: after Thomas Millwood was murdered, another Hammersmith man came forward and revealed himself to be the ghost. So, according to Crime Magazine, local shoe and bootmaker John Graham had been dressing up as a ghost to scare his apprentices. Uh, now, he was doing this because his apprentices had been scaring his children with ghost stories and Graham wanted to get back at them. He surrendered to the local magistrates, but they weren't really sure what action they could actually take against him because, after all, (laughs) there's no law against, like, being a bit of a dick and dressing up as a ghost and scaring people. Um, So John Graham was granted bail while the magistrates consulted on what action they could take against him, uh, but there is no record of any charges being brought up against Graham.
0: It also doesn't answer the question of, like, so was he the one going around, like, aggressively, aggressively hugging people hugging. and scaring people, or was he just scaring, sort of, his apprentices, maybe the apprentices' friends? Yeah, like, who'd... was
1: he just, like, um, capitalizing on this this sort of yeah. zeitgeisty moment of ghosts? or Or was his story actually to cover up some sort of, like, creepy, like, Costumed sexual assault, kind of thing.
0: Well, there's no sort of re- like report of like this goat's... this goat, this <sighs> ghost, um, is like sexually assaulting anyone. So.
1: Well, aggressively hugging, it's like unwanted touching.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: That's what that, is is that bad that my mind went there for? <laughs> well, when you said said
0: sexual assault, I. I went to like harassment i suppose i don't yeah. know so yeah or maybe he was like going to like try and scare the apprentices and other people saw him and maybe. that's where kind of i don't know
1: i want to know what these like the first two ladies actually saw that then made them die of shock
0: yeah that's but what i suppose I know that then obviously fuels this like folklore around it because yeah. they died yeah exactly I mean death was very common that's the thing like they
1: could have just been shocked that someone had shown some ankle and then just keeled over because of it
0: I mean this is of the period where they had to put tablecloths on tables because men (laughs) would be aroused by table legs obviously so you know who knows what was shocking to people anything is possible Yeah, so a week after Thomas Millwood's death, Francis Smith's trial for willful murder began. And although Smith admitted that he shot dead Millwood, he pled not guilty to murder. As there were no actual eyewitnesses to the shooting, the trial had to rely largely on Smith's own recounting of the event. And if you remember from last week, at this time in history, innocence and guilt were largely based on character and class. Yeah. Uh, There were three main witnesses, uh, William Girdler, Anne Millwood and John Locke. Girdler spoke of his agreement to meet Smith after calling the hour at 11pm and that following the shooting, Smith had complied with the constable who arrested him. Uh, John Locke said that he had known Smith for a long time and always known him to be uh, an honest and good man. He also said that Smith had appeared genuinely distressed when he realised that he had shot An actual human being and not a ghost. Yaw. Anne Millwood's testimony was slightly more damning, though. Although she wasn't an eyewitness, she was a very close earwitness. Close enough to hear Smith shout at her brother, challenging him, and then shooting immediately afterwards without giving Thomas Millwood any time to react. And that's exactly what she told the court.
1: Yeah. Thomas's mother-in-law, Phoebe Fulbrook, also gave evidence at the trial. She spoke about how the night of the shooting was not the first time that someone had mistaken Thomas for the ghost. She said that it was due to his uh, the white clothes that he wore for his job as a bricklayer. Uh, she also spoke of how after the first incident, she and her daughter had begged Thomas to wear his overcoat. Over his white work clothes, because they were worried that the armed posse might mistake him for the ghost and attack him. Unfortunately, Thomas had not shared her concerns and didn't believe that he would come to any harm. Uh, this is partly because, as we've mentioned before, the ghost was reported to wear, you know, a shroud or a sheet and have bull horns, whereas Thomas was just a guy in all white clothing. And, you know, casual passerbys might be panicked, but surely the patrols and the night watchmen wouldn't mistake just a guy in white clothes for this sort of evil spectral creature. Right?
0: No. Of course they couldn't. Really? Right? Oops. (laughs) Oops. Uh, Francis Smith gave a short speech in his defense, in which he finally admitted that he knew it was not a ghost he was dealing with, but that he was panicked when the man he challenged didn't immediately retreat. Although, you have to give people, like, a second. Right? Not be like, retreat, bang! Yeah, like, you gotta give them a minute to process. Yeah. But he claimed that, because uh, Thomas didn't immediately retreat, he feared for his safety and shot him. So, kind of... Claiming self-defence in a way. That explanation didn't go down too well. Before the jury retired to consider a verdict, the judge, Lord Chief Baron Sir Archibald MacDonald, Damn, son, that's a name. Yep. First of his name. Third of Hammersmith. (laughs) Second of the Thames Landing. Something. Yep. The judge clarified to them, it was not... Uh, malice, which should decide whether or not Smith was guilty, it was merely the intent to kill. He may have feared for his life, and he may have been hunting for a ghost, not a man, but he always intended to shoot to kill. Mm. The judge explained that Smith did not have to know or have a grudge against the victim, for him to have intended to kill him, after all. A shot in the neck, and not like the feet or a warning shot in the air is pretty clear in its intention. Yeah. And obviously this is when attitudes are starting to change in regards to crime and innocence and guilt. Mm -hmm. You know, class does not connote innocence.
1: After an hour of deliberations, the jury returned a verdict of manslaughter rather than murder. Uh, At which point, the judge reminded them that their only options were guilty of murder or acquittal they couldn't just make up their own verdict <laughs> which like it's pretty ballsy of the jury i gotta give them that it's like mm, yeah, we don't like your your options guys we're gonna make our own um
0: it's like if you go around someone's house and you're like no i don't like your coffee i'm bringing my own yeah it's just rude
1: <laughs> yeah like someone calls you up it's like oh i'm making you dinner tonight do you want like chicken parmesan or you know hamburgers and you just show up with like burritos
0: (laughs) right now i brought my own i
1: don't like your options um so whether or not smith really believed thomas was the ghost was irrelevant they had to decide if he intended to kill thomas or the ghost uh the jury then came back with a verdict of guilty of murder and at the time murder carried a mandatory death sentence of hanging and dissection
0: just to really drive it home yeah
1: uh which was set to be carried out the following week smith was so distraught that he broke down and had to be carried from the court by officials however the case was referred to king george the third who commuted it from death to one year's hard labor bit of a de-escalation there
0: Just a little bit.
1: Um, That de-escalated quickly? Does that work? (laughs) Uh, But he wouldn't even serve the reduced sentence because Francis Smith received a full pardon in July of 1804.
0: Although the case was closed as justice most definitely wasn't served for Thomas Millwood and his family, the outcome of Francis Smith's trial shone a light on an aspect of British law which, as you remember, we said at the beginning, went unclarified for 180 years. Which is wild. So, many people were unhappy with the outcome of Smith's trial, believing that he should have served more than the six months before receiving a full pardon. So the trial, subsequent pardon, uh, brought up the question of whether or not mistaken identity or mistaken belief was enough of a defence to get away with murder. Basically, was the fact that Francis Smith thought Thomas Millwood was the ghost, or thought that Millwood posed a danger to him, as he claimed in court, a good enough defence for him to be pardoned even though he had ended a man's life. This would be debated in British courtrooms for 180 years, with Francis Smith's case referenced time and again, until it was finally clarified during an appeal in 1984. Damn. In
1: 1983, Gladstone Williams had seen a man dragging a youth along the street, and the youth was screaming for help as he was being dragged. Williams believed that the youth was the victim situation and that the man dragging him was the aggressor. So he hit and injured the man and then restrained him until the police arrived. But (laughs) it turned out that Williams had badly misread the situation, Uh, The youth was actually a suspected thief, and the man was trying to restrain him. Uh, Williams was arrested and subsequently found guilty of assault. Uh, He appealed this verdict, uh, and his legal team argued that Williams had mistakenly believed that force was necessary to prevent further crime taking place, very much as Francis Smith had argued he had shot Thomas Millwood or... The ghost in order to prevent further crime, uh, mistakenly believing that he was in danger.
0: The appeals court accepted Williams' claims that he acted in an attempt to prevent further crime from taking place, believing that the youth was in danger had someone not intervened. The presiding judge, Lord Chief Justice Lane, said, quote, In a case of self-defense, where self-defense or the prevention of crime is concerned, if the jury came to the conclusion that the defendant believed or may have believed that he was being attacked or that a crime was being committed, and that force was necessary to prote- protect himself or to protect the- or to prevent the crime, then the prosecution have not proved their case. Which is a very fancy way of saying, basically, if you think you are acting in self defence, you are, and the jury believe that. The prosecution haven't proved uh, intent to commit a crime, really, have they? Yeah, Uh, Williams' conviction was quashed, and this decision was upheld by the Privy Council, and was eventually written into English law as part of the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act of 2008. And that is the case of the Hammersmith Ghost. Thoughts? Feelings?
1: It's just kind Of amazing that so 2008 was written into English law, so yeah, that's so that's 204 oh, years, yeah, that's over 200 years later, which is kind of amazing. Um, I'm also kind of amazed by the description of the ghost, uh, and it's,
0: it's like the most basic Halloween costume ever
1: with like a Viking hat on its head, yeah, literally. Um, which I now know my Halloween costume for this year <laughs> Hammersmith Ghost yeah but I think like he knew he knew it was just a guy yeah and he shot him anyway which sucks
0: yeah and that's that's the problem with vin- vigilantism with people taking the law into their own hands with even with like neighborhood watch
1: you get carried away, I think. Yeah, like you get swept up in the energy of like I'm helping, I'm helping, and I'm I'm saving people, and it's like, but actually, you're creating more havoc when you don't need to.
0: Yeah, it's like remember when we did the Skidmore case, mm-hmm. and that was a case where basically that guy. The police didn't do anything, the courts didn't do anything. Yeah, and he like, so terrorized murdered, the whole
1: town, basically. Him,
0: him being murdered was literally the only option left. Yeah. Not that we condone murder, no. obviously. But a point that's made in a lot, of, like, uh, a lot of the press, a lot of the documentaries, anything sort of offering commentary on that case, is it's a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yes, this guy had to go but if you start condoning that every time there's, like, a neighbourly dispute or every time something goes wrong in the community, at what point do you stop? Yeah. It's a slippery slope to start down. And also, it's a fucking ghost.
1: That's the thing. Like, even if you believe in ghosts, even if you think this ghost has been going around town, like, scaring people literally to death, if it's a ghost... You don't need your shotgun.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing. That's, like, if it's yeah. a supernatural presence, how can you kill it with natural, quote unquote, like human? Yeah, uh,
1: like you weapons. need you need a priest. You don't need.
0: You need a priest. You need a crucifix. You need some sage up in there. Some
1: holy water, maybe. Some maybe. Holy water. Yeah, but like you don't need your, you know.
0: We need like a mobile double font. barrel shotgun. <laughs> You just need a mobile font and just like spray water out of the font as you're going around. Uh, But yeah, uh, I I have to say I'm quite
1: excited for all of these like um, sort of supernaturally uh, themed episodes because like I find this stuff really interesting. And so I guess we should go. We should do this now. Do you believe in ghosts?
0: I don't. No, I don't think so. Okay, okay, okay. I. I don't know because I think like the thought of like the afterlife is kind of comforting. Yes. But at the same time, actually, so is just being dead and being worm food. Like, wait, right, that's it. No more. <laughs> One lifetime is enough. I don't know. I think if I think if people take comfort in you know, thinking that they've seen the ghost of a dead relative or a loved one or whatever, then cool, great, but I don't know. What about you?
1: So, I've not personally had any supernatural encounters. Um, I, uh, For those of you who don't know me personally, I'm probably the least religious person you could ever find. So I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the afterlife, I don't believe in pretty much anything. But I do believe in science, and I do believe in the law of conservation of energy. And so I've always kind of had this thought of like, well, human energy you die yes how it could work is that that energy goes to you know feeding the you know bugs and, and animals in the forest that you're, where you're buried or whatever or it could go to a ghost
0: i love that you used science to get there
1: yeah why wouldn't i Rugby also loves that i use science to get there. <laughs> um
0: that dog is very vocal today.
1: He is in a mood. Like, I love him, but I hate him today. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I, I'm i sort of, like... I, I, I'm open to the belief in ghosts. I'm like a... I'm all for it. Prove me wrong.
0: Yeah. That's... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I just don't... I, I just don't think that they're real.
1: I think it might not be the same way that like people think of ghosts, uh, like in our sort of cultural consciousness. Like,
0: yeah, oh, that that's another possibility. I suppose it's a bit like aliens. We think of aliens as like a gray, yeah, little gray man. Yeah, aliens could be, could be in anything. Form of, of literally anything. It could be what we would think of as bacteria. Yeah, or like or an amoeba, or like or
1: a, a sort of glowing light source or is it like who who even knows like
0: i mean like monkfish and anglerfish you know the fish with the with the light bulbs on their heads yeah, they yeah. could
1: be aliens See? really you like, never know they just haven't decided to tell us recently so um yeah so i i yeah i guess i think that's the other thing it's like i think there are more things in our world that we do not have current explanations of Scientifically or otherwise, that like could turn out to be ghosts or aliens or demons, I don't know that seems a bit much, but like you never know like uh, uh, you know a hundred years ago, people thought all kinds of different shit about different shit, so like
0: yeah, humans aren't as smart as we like to think we are
1: no we're we're really
0: dumb, <laughs> and it's like we have no idea like. We know more about the surface of the moon than we know about the ocean floor. Yeah, exactly. So There is so much shit in our own world that we don't know about, that we don't understand. So I say ghosts could be completely different to what we think of them as.
1: Yeah, so the conclusion that we've come to today is the ocean is filled with ghosts. No, aliens. Aliens and ghosts. Okay. Ghost yeah. ocean. Alien ocean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's so, all we got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bioluminescent fish uh aliens and go watch bring it on because it is a modern classic <laughs> yes
1: and uh oh god i'll see if i can find a Skate 91 commercial from like 1996 because like mm, mm, that was my jam that was the hot place to go for birthday parties when i was a kid with your rollerblades i had actually <laughs> i had speaking of um supernatural themes I had goosebump themed rollerblades. Nice. That I my parents purchased me from a tag sale somewhere. <laughs> um right. So, that's it. <laughs> so, that was the the first of our sort of spooky themed March episodes. Um yes, thank you as always to Melissa for your fantastical and fantastic suggestions <laughs> in uh, in content and otherwise because
0: i feel sorry for everyone who does not know our yes our girl group because we are six insane yes. and amazing people i i just like
1: my favorite thing about melissa if you're listening melissa this is my favorite thing about you is that you can <laughs> just every time we would see her she'd just come into the room and be like guys mermaids are real and just (laughs) go and she like she has all the information she needs like she's just like i i got it figured out it's like that's great i am so glad that you have spent your time doing this
0: but like it's just fascinating it's wonderful she is a genuinely wonderful person and thank you very much for sending us down this weird rabbit hole yeah or rabbit warren as it's going to turn out to be probably so um yeah so if
1: you enjoyed this sort of uh differently themed episode uh and and you feel so inclined we would love it if you would give us a rating and review and you could you could say in your your review like five stars more ghosts please and we'll be like sure you got it. Or, you know, you could say whatever you want, but, um, it really helps us when you rate us and review us. And when you subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, or like sometimes called like favoriting or like saving, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, or you could give us a review on Facebook. Um, that is also an option, which we would also appreciate. And, um, If you would like to get sort of a monthly roundup update of what we uh, are doing each month, just because it's monthly, um, you can sign up. (laughs) I'm getting a look. Uh, You can sign (laughs) up to our newsletter, which comes in your email, not in the mail, email newsletter. And... uh, Yeah, it's environmentally friendly. Yes, we're paperless here. We're a paperless... (laughs) Company and we're not a company we're a we're a mess um <laughs> we're
0: also not paperless <laughs> that's true uh I have like ten sets of post-it notes all over my desk literally <laughs> taking notes as we speak um
1: yeah sign up for our newsletter the links in the in the show notes and it, it's on our website and you can find it in like our Instagram bio link and go do it um it's cool
0: yeah and uh, if you don't like the ghost theme. Tell us. Come and suggest a new theme. Yeah. Tell us what you want to hear. Yeah, seriously, tell us Personally, that. Personally, we love doing like all these old cases. They're so interesting. There's so much information now in the public domain because a lot of them have passed uh, copyright. Yes, as well. So yeah, or like files have been unsealed
1: like, as well.
0: Yeah, information is like super conflicting and super confusing, but it's all there. <laughs> yeah, like we
1: have actually talked about just not doing cases that are. Uh, like in our life younger than a certain age so <laughs> like
0: <laughs> let us know what you think yeah um if you would like to go one step further you can support the pod uh, by joining our patreon pledges start from just one pound or one dollar a month you get all episodes a day early and add free as well Yeah, um, two dollars and up, or two pounds and up, you get a bonus episode, some exclusive merch that you can't buy anywhere, Mm -hmm. and five dollars or ten dollars or pounds up, you get even more bonus content. Yeah. Uh, so head over to patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder and check that out. Uh, we also have a merch shop, the link to which will be in the episode description on the website, social media, everywhere, um... We have three designs, soon to be four. Yes, after this really, episode. Because anyway. we had like a epiphany, like just mid-episode. It's going mid to happen. It's amazing how these things happen. I know. But Taylor's getting old this month, yeah. just throwing that out there. So, because she's turning 30 next week, or this week, when this goes out. Yes, this Friday. Yeah. Two days.
1: Or, so yeah, because
0: yeah. Taylor's turning 30 in a couple of days. For the whole of March, we are offering thirty percent off everything in our merch shop. Just have to use the code OMG thirty because she's about to have an existential crisis. Yep, that's how I feel in my soul. Um, yeah, and get thirty percent off everything in the shop. And yes, when you get your it's merch, my birthday
1: gift to you.
0: Yeah, when you get your merch, take some pictures, upload it on social media, tag us. Mm-hmm. We want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, Taylor's going to curl up into a ball now. As I Yes, her, indeedy. It is her birthday next week. She already knows what I'm getting her, so, you know. She's got that look yes. to look forward to. I'm taking her yes. to look at trains. <laughs> <when> <laughs> Which is exciting. the world is back to normal. Yes, not not any time She makes it sound, like, really exciting, but the museum is actually free. <laughs> I'm just driving you there and taking you for lunch as well. I mean, any kind of
1: museum especially the free ones are usually my favorite so
0: and we'll go we'll go get get food
1: food is also
0: my favorite as it turns out yeah um so yeah taylor's having mixed feelings about her birthday we will be back on friday for all five pound and up patrons yes and for everyone else we will see you next week thank you so much for listening see you then bye bye